I used to be a Democrat. I used to be hardcore Barack Obama. The Democrats are only here to, to help the people. They are the, the, the party of the people. And then I found out that the Democratic Party was the party of slavery, Ku Klux Klan, the, the Jim Crow laws. Uh, they were opposed to the civil rights movement. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, which freed the slaves, gave uh, uh, black people citizenship and the right to vote. The Democrats unanimously, unanimously voted against all of those rights. And when I found that out and nobody could give me a legitimate stance on how the party switched, it's like I I have no other choice but to at least consider what principles does the other side have? What are they offering? When I began to educate myself on the history of the Democratic Party, I learned a lot about Margaret Sanger. The greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease. And I learned about the birth of the Ku Klux Klan. And I learned about the Jim Crow South. And I learned about Black Wall Street. And all of those events had democratic hands in them. It unraveled everything that I knew to be true everything that the news media taught me, everything that my own culture taught me. What's up, everyone? My name is Chad Jackson. I'm featured in the film you're about to watch. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch Uncle Tom, executive produced by Larry Elder, directed by Justin Malone. This is a film that a lot of people are crediting as being integral to their waking up experience. Over the past month or two alone, there's been this emergence of YouTubers who are reviewing the deleted scenes and are basically awestruck at the truth that this project reveals. Ah, this is good. We invite you to watch the film, to take to your social media and tell your friends about it, to review it. And we also invite you to brace yourself for part two, which will be released later this year, August 26, 2022. So without further ado, I present to you Uncle Tom. I care deeply about black people and the issues of black people. But I care deeply about the issues of all people. I want to look at things objectively. When I look at what policies I believe will help not only black people, but what would help all people. I voice that. And because I stand in opposition, that makes me an Uncle Tom. I used to get very offended and upset whenever people would call me an Uncle Tom. I think I'm in a place now when someone calls me that, like I kind of pity them because of their ignorance. It just shows that they haven't actually read the book. Whenever someone calls you an Uncle Tom, what they're trying to communicate is that Either you just do not like black people and you see all black people as trash or they're trying to communicate that, oh, you're just trying to fit in with white people. You're trying to be accepted among among whites. And so I'm going to call you this derogatory word to put you in your place and to remind you, you will never be accepted by by whites. You'll always be just a black nigger. Those people who find my Instagram and comment on it just to call me Uncle Tom, House Negro, I, you know, I, 
I never thought that I would be called, you know, such racist and derogatory terms. Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom, coon, bedwench. Bootlicker, chucking and jiving. House Negro, coon. Uncle Tom and coon. Matter of fact, I have a coon award over there. Coon of the Year Award. They call us the Coons. Coon. Coon. For Indians like me, you're an Uncle Patel. Uncle Ruckus. But praise be the white God and his son, White G. The guy from Get Out, they put his face on my post. I find that the African-American experience for me has been, for the most part, very good. I think the funniest thing I've ever been called, the most absurd thing, is a black white supremacist. It's like the old Chappelle skit, Clayton Bigsby. Go, oh, white power! It must be real. People say crazy things. Left to say the craziest shit to you. Don't try to twist what I say. But that's what you're saying. Your narrative. That, that is not what I'm saying. That is what you're saying. That is, you can't tell me what I I'm saying. I know you, Lenore. You, that's you what you're saying. You don't know me. You sound like all of them. Oh, yeah. Okay, and guess what? You sound like all of them Uncle Tom's. See now, there? how about that? I knew it. Lenore, now, it's good to hear from that? you. It's good to hear from you. Go drop dead. All right. Thank you, Lenore. What a sweet lady. And Uncle Tom is somebody who has sold out by embracing the white man, by becoming a Republican, by rejecting the idea that you're a victim, uh, by supporting things like hard work, accountability, and low taxes, uh, by refusing to think of yourself as a black person first, as opposed to as an American who is black. Your skin color should dictate how you think what you say. The only way I can operate as a human being is via my skin color. I can't operate via my intelligence or the things I have accomplished. My resume should be I'm black. And Uncle Tom uh, has traditionally been a black person that tried to serve and scurry favor with white people. So they believe that I want to be accepted in the white community. Kind of like the house Negro back in slavery. That I'm in the house, Master, what can I do for you? And I'm gonna suck up to them and leave my people behind. Most black people don't believe that other blacks can be independent free thinkers or or or, or stand up. You definitely don't. Or stand up for what is right. They believe that if a black person stand up for what is right, they'll sell out their uncle Tom. The white people have to be brainwashed. As my late grandfathers used to say, who lived to be 94. I does not care. Because <laughs> he didn't have a lot of education. He said, I does not care. So I don't care if they call me names. You know, just meet me at the bank. <laughs> and we'll compare bank accounts. <laughs> I am very optimistic uh, about the future. Uh, frankly, I have seen certain changes in the United States over the last two years that surprised me. I've seen levels of compliance with the Civil Rights Bill and changes that have been uh, most surprising. So on the basis of this, I think we may be able to get a Negro president in less than 40 years. In churches, in bars, on the streets. Americans have been celebrating this great landmark in the long struggle for civil rights. In Chicago, the veteran black leader Jesse Jackson broke down in tears. In Atlanta, from the pulpit of Martin Luther King's old church, its pastor declared, tonight, we have seized the promise of America. Not to sound crazy, but, you know, white people always had Jesus. 
So they always had that mentality, I could be anything, even God. For me, the image of him is like, who's the most powerful person in the world? Who's considered like a God, basically? It's the president of the United States. Obama became that image for us, like that Jesus. We never looked at ourselves as being politicians. We looked at ourselves as rappers or football, basketball players, drug dealers. That's why I think Obama was important in becoming president, because it gave us that optic, like we could be whatever we want to be. It was America finally feeling that we could let go, just let go and say we, we finally did it, progress is here. I cried when he won. became a Christian back in 2009. The year prior, I voted for Barack Obama. I was really passionate about Barack Obama and his policies. I was having a conversation with a friend and I was telling him how like I'm a Democrat because, you know, the Democrat policy is is pro Medicaid, pro government benefits, all these things that can help, you know, poor urban communities. And doesn't the Bible say that we're supposed to look out for poor people. And this friend of mine, who's also a Christian said, well, was it talking about the government or was it talking about you? And I thought, you know, that's very interesting. And so I went back and read it and it was talking about me. A lot of the way that I saw things began to change, but I was still a Democrat. This friend of mine challenged me to go and read the Republican platform and read the Democrat platform and see where my values and my views line up. My whole mindset was changing, you know, around this time. And so I took him up on that offer. I went and I read the entire Democrat platform and I read the entire Republican platform. And I was like, man, I'm a Republican. I have learned to go beyond just listening to what CNN says or even Fox News. I go on Fox News all the time, but I decide to go beyond what they are saying and what they're selling. And I'm able to listen and do the research on my own so I know who I believe in, who am I voting for and why. I used to be a Democrat 
I used to be hardcore Barack Obama. The Democrats are only here to, to help the people. They are the, the, the party of the people. And then I found out that the Democratic Party was the party of slavery, Ku Klux Klan, the, the Jim Crow laws. Uh, they were opposed to the Civil Rights Movement. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, which freed the slaves, gave uh, uh, black people citizenship and the right to vote. The Democrats unanimously, unanimously voted against all of those rights. And when I found that out and nobody could give me a legitimate stance on how the party switched, it's like I I have no other choice but to at least consider what principles does the other side have? What are they offering? When I began to educate myself on the history of the Democratic Party, I learned a lot about Margaret Sanger. The greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease. And I learned about the birth of the Ku Klux Klan. And I learned about the Jim Crow South. And I learned about Black Wall Street. And all of those events had democratic hands in them. It unraveled everything that I knew to be true everything that the news media taught me, everything that my own culture taught me. News Nugget. George Washington mural should be covered but preserved according to a San Francisco school board decision. Don't they have better things to do? Do you know what that problem is with that mural? It has a slave in it. That was back then. But they want to cover up history. It had a Native American Indian in it. They don't like that. It's part of history. I focus on three things. Performance, performance, performance. The three things that are my guiding lights. Belief in God. Belief in myself and my belief in the United States of America. I learned it from that man right there. My dad worked three jobs until he could live off of two, and he worked two until he could live off of one. He used to be a chauffeur for the Coca-Cola company. And then one day he was asked to drive for the Chairman and CEO, Robert W. Woodruff. It was like a 24-7, seven-day-a-week job. I never heard him complain about having to work so hard. I never heard him complain about what the government didn't do to help us. We were poor, but we didn't know it. We didn't have people screaming at us all the time telling us we were poor. My dad encouraged my brother and I to get as much education as you can, because he worked in an environment where the most successful people were the ones that had the greatest amount of education. Success does not come in a straight line. It's a zigzag. I'm sick of people talking about, oh, when I go to a job, they're going to discriminate against me. Man, what about white privilege? I don't want to hear a lick of that crap anymore. You're stronger than that. You're more powerful than that. I'll tell you what, I go to a job interview and someone don't give me an opportunity, I'm gonna apply for every single job on the block until I get a job. 
I don't need no handouts. I don't need your excuses. I'm going to go harder than everybody else for that job. And if you go hard and you put yourself in position, you will be successful. I never saw myself as handicapped because I was black, I was a woman, that I came from poverty. It was just not the way I processed the world. As someone who got a GED, went to a community college, then went on to get a four-year degree, graduated magna cum laude, while I was working 40 hours a week, nights and weekends, at the community college library. My life has taken many turns. I married at 16, I dropped out of school. By the time I was 21, I had three small children. I had no idea that I would end up going to college and becoming a university professor. Graduate school was very interesting for me in a lot of ways. I had this experience in a course that was being taught by a white female. She was actually a white liberal. At some point in the classroom, I'm sure I'd said something that really irked her because she turned to me and she yelled, you'll never be able to change the fact that you're a black woman. And I interpreted that to mean that I was handicapped whether I knew it or not. There I learned that I was black, I was poor, I was a woman, and that I was not supposed to have accomplished the things that I had already accomplished, which was success. By then, it was too late. When I was a kid, I went to summer camp in an area of California called Yucaipa. Really bucolic, flowers everywhere. It was just wonderful. It was a Boy Scout jamboree, and there were hundreds of Boy Scouts from all over California. And from what I can tell, there were just a handful of blacks. I was in a cabin with maybe seven or eight kids, and we'd been together now for three, four days. And there was one kid, he and I got into some sort of argument, I don't remember why, and he called me a nigger. And I literally had to restrain the other kids from killing this guy. I mean, they were just gonna kill him. They were more angry about it than I was. And so I never really felt that those who are bigots, the racists, were in the majority. I never really felt that. I always felt that people who were bigots intuitively were in the minority and most people didn't feel that way. That seemed to be consistent with my own personal experiences. I was always confident. I always knew I had a good memory, made good grades, and my parents gave me a lot of positive feedback because of that. I always knew I was going to be an achiever, and there was no doubt about that. The only doubt was the, the route. There was never a time when I thought of myself as a victim. Never. Not, not one time. You're afraid of being marginalized, right? Sure. Welcome to what it feels like to be black. A man caught on video unleashing a racist rant. An alleged racist incident. Racial bias. Racist tendencies. Racism. Racism from coast to coast. The open racism. Statements of racism. He was brutally beaten by attackers yelling racist and homophobic slurs. A racist drifter. Is it racism? Is it sexism? How do we get white people to see racism as their problem too? That was racist. Racist. Go back to Africa, kind of racism. Straight up racist. Racist tweets. Racist tweets. Those tweets are racist. A racial dog. Whistle. The most successful black 
Americans today are Nigerian Americans because they're not brainwashed by our media. We've heard all about the big explosive cases of racial injustice in America, uh, but that's not what most black people in America deal with. You deal with what we call microaggressions or uh, a thousand cuts of racism every single day. I grew up being told of my disadvantages that this country is unfair to, to black people. You're black, you're not gonna be able to do it. You can't get this, you can't get that, you can't get bank loans. When you walk into a bank, you will get a loan more easily if you are a white guy. The ideology is implanted into you subconsciously to believe these things. We don't teach our children to have confidence. It's like we're brainwashed to think, well, is it because I'm black? Why are they looking at me like that? How many of you feel judged? How many of you feel feared on site when people see you? Show hands. We teach them to be scared of this country, to be scared of the world that they live in. It's like a cancerous plague in the mind of black Americans. We trying to say that this country does not specialize in racism and bigotry. I am saying that racism exists. I am saying exists. that the United but you, but you, States but you, but you, but you have the luxury, you have the luxury to be cavalier about it. When you are angry, it's very easy to be deceived. It's very sad to see black people operate in that. There's a lot of members in the black community who they are operating in very negative energy. I call out racism. That is maddening to me, and I'm crying about it because it's crazy. If you keep yourself in this constant state of, woe is me, I'm disadvantaged, I'll never accomplish anything, then you won't accomplish anything. It will be a self-fulfilling prophecy for you. If you determine that you can't be successful or that you're oppressed, then you are oppressed. That's the power of the mind. If you believe that you can't, you won't, and you sure as hell won't try. And black America has been programmed to believe that we can't. The country was founded on racism and bigotry, David. If you turn on a radio morning show. You African-American, the cops show up, we don't know if we're going to make it out alive. I'm sorry. The message is clear. If you broke and white in America, you're right. wasting your whiteness. Right. And that's what's being fed into the urban community. White supremacy, it's the backbone of political and economic disenfranchisement of black folks. So long as black people continue to have their psyche filled by that nonsense, we won't have an awakening. Trump is a racist. He doesn't want more brown and black people here. It gets brainwashed into you in multiple facets. We tend to be geared towards entertainment. You need to know that a lot of your fans is racist. People have used those entertainment personalities to convince us subconsciously what we should believe. If you like that nigga, you motherfucking racist. Fuck you and fuck. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, nigga, fuck Donald Trump. I'm beginning to lose confidence in the Trump administration. <laughs> yeah, what do you think of that? Uh, I think it's actually a great thing. Jay-Z has always been a drug dealer to the black community. He's very open about the fact that he used to sell crack cocaine when he was living in the projects, and that's how he got ahead. So he was selling something that was harming the black community. Well, he's still doing that. <laughs> he's still selling something that's harming the black community, and it's flying off the shelves, and that's victimhood. We have to have the conversation. We have to have tough conversation. We have to talk about the N-word, and we have to talk about why uh, white men are so privileged in this country. Kaepernick, same exact hustle, right? This is a half-white man who's chosen to pick his hair out to be an Afro, to be black, because right now, victimhood is hot. Colin Kaepernick is making a ton of money. Jay-Z is making a ton of money. 
is Black America any better? The communities are still hurting, but they get to line their pockets. And we accept the same type of crack cocaine. The left gets away with this because 80 to 90 percent of the primary sources of news are left wing. My father was a janitor. He was born in the Jim Crow South. Fast forward, my father in his late 40s started a small business, uh, got a little bit of property. Uh, this is what happens in America. Raised three boys, educated them. Uh, we have a thriving black middle class. If black America were a country, Brooke, it would be the 15th wealthiest country in the world. For crying out loud, this is not your grandfather's America. America is an idea. That's why we're different in every other country. That's why we have freedoms that other countries don't. That's why entrepreneurs are birthed here. That's why there's so many millionaires here. That's why black people are doing better here than anywhere else in the world. It's very simple. This ideology, people begin to adopt around the world and they become successful. It's an idea. America is an idea. Anybody who adopts the idea of America will be American and successful. If you don't adopt the idea, you are not American. You're not gonna get that far in America if you don't pursue the American idea. I love that this country values individuals. As a black American in the United States, I have autonomy and the things that I do are of my doing. A lot of people expect when you say farmer, they're expecting white tracts of land and tractors and stuff, but we don't have any of that. And I realize when I look back here every day, I'm proud of what we've gotten done so far started with chickens, which is the gateway farming to goats, rabbits, horses. These are my goats, Posey and Zelda. One's a Nubian, one's a Kiko. A really badly bred Kiko. <laughs> this year was the first year that I ever had goats. Individualism, independence, and taking responsibility for your actions and for your food. I think that's for promoting small government values. When you do things yourself, you don't need to, the government to do it for you. I think black Americans should believe and uphold the ideas of constitutional inherent rights. Without those beliefs, we wouldn't be where we are today. I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any purpose of evasion or mental reservation, so help me God. We don't take an oath to a color, to a party, to a person. We take an oath to the thing that binds us all together, and that's our Constitution, that's our rule of law. Those of us that understand that oath will always be guardians of the American Republic. If I want to see this nation that I love so dearly continue on in the path of liberty, freedom, and individual rights, then I gotta make sure the subsequent generations understand that and they are willing to go out and fight for it and defend it just the same as I did because I had a dad that inculcated that into me. At the age of 15, when my dad said that there was no greater honor than to wear the uniform of the United States of America, that's a powerful statement. Coming from a man that was born in 1920, 
down in the South. Never heard him say a bad word about the United States of America. He went off to serve and fight for this country, even though this country did not see him as it should have seen him. But he wasn't a victim. The black community really believed that if they could show that they were willing to stand side by side with white Americans and fight for liberties and freedoms, that sooner or later people would understand that we can't have this hypocrisy. Executive Order 9981 that President Harry Truman signed that desegregated our military, he finally realized that if we are true to ourselves about the liberation of other people from the tyranny of Nazism, fascism, and Japanese imperialism, well, we got to be true to that here in our own country, in the United States of America. And that's why Harry Truman's picture hangs in my house. That's why the, the, the principles of the founders speak loudly to me. Even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I think it is an immoral posture to hold the position that individuals, whether they be Negroes or members of other minority groups, should have their basic constitutional and God-given rights held up. Self-governance is what all of those grassroots people were seeking. They understood that the victimizer, i.e. racism and discrimination, may have knocked you down. But it is the victim that has to get up. Hello, is this Latasha Fields? Hi, this is Bob Woodson. How are you? Good. Listen, I want to invite you and your husband to join this consortium of ours, as we're calling it, the 1776 Consortium, to respond to the 1619 piece that was done in the New York Times. I'm not interested in engaging in debate with them. I'm saying we need an accurate portrayal of slavery, but it doesn't totally define the black condition. We wanted people to understand that the future of black America is not defined by slavery but by the kind of things we did in response to these conditions similar to what you and your husband have overcome. I wish that it would be mandatory reading, not just in the black community, but all across America, to read the autobiography of Booker T. Washington. Here was a man that was born into slavery, and when he learned that he was free, his number one quest, his number one goal was to get an education. He walks from present day West Virginia to Hampton, Virginia, to Hampton Institute, so that he could show himself qualified to enter that institution and get an education. When he established Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute, it wasn't just about the book learning, it was about industrial learning. It was about people being able to take an education and develop themselves into entrepreneurs so that they could have self-reliance. There was a schism between Booker T. Washington and W.B. Du Bois. Booker T. Washington believed in 
the ability of someone to get out there and work within the system, show their value by the talents that they were able to develop, by the businesses they were able to create and open. The W.E.B. Du Bois faction more so believes in that protest-oriented demanding of rights and things of this nature. This is where you get the sellout Uncle Tom and all of these things that they use to demonize Booker T. Washington. But when you think about it in the long run, who was right? W.B. Du Bois was an avowed socialist who became an avowed communist who renounced his American citizenship. But the institution that Booker T. Washington established is still there today. We need to go back and understand what Booker T. Washington was really, his, his philosophy, what he was trying to get us to understand. There's nothing wrong with hard work. There's nothing wrong with working your way up from the bottom, much the same as his autobiography says, up from slavery. I had a college student ask me one time, how did you deal with color and race when you were climbing the corporate ladder? My answer, I didn't. Let them deal with it. <laughs> I didn't focus on that. I didn't have time. I went to the president of the Pillsbury Company and said, I need to get involved in some other aspects of the corporation because I want to run one of the business units one day. So he said, we need a lot of leadership in Burger King. You have to go and spend two weeks at Wapa College. That really is a Wapa College in Miami. I graduated summa cum laude. <laughs> working for the Department of the Navy. The same day that I started, another white gentleman named Robert started working there also. We had very similar jobs. So the first 12 months, I got outstanding performance four quarters in a row. The second year, outstanding performance four quarters in a row. And Robert got outstanding performance. But Robert was getting his GS salary increase at least two months sooner than me. So I went to Wayne, my supervisor, and said, Robin and I are both doing a great job. He said, yeah. So why is he getting little increases quicker than me? He said, he has a master's degree. I said, oh, it's not because he's white? Nope. He has a master's degree. So you know what I did? I didn't get mad. I went and got me a master's degree. <laughs> there are only four rooms to this ladder. Went back. Sat down with Wayne. I said, well, I got a master's degree. I said, the next time you have opening for a promotion, I said, keep me in mind. See you around. And not long after that, they had a special project called a Rocket Assisted Projector. They had to have someone who was going to be the GS-13 supervisory mathematician to do the special ballistics on this Rocket Assisted Projector. I got the promotion. And I had eight white people working for me. It was all about performance, not the color of your skin. So since I now had that master's degree and I had proved myself, I got the job. When I decided to leave Dalgren, never forget the department head 
and he called me in for an exit interview. And I'll never forget Russ. I think he's deceased now. He said, you know, you have taught me something. I said, what? He said, I had never worked with a black person before. You taught me don't judge somebody by the color of their skin. I grew up primarily around black people, primarily in what we call the Afrocentric perspective. That means everything in life was seen from the lens of being black in America. I used to have gold teeth in my mouth. I got young savage tattooed across my stomach. I got my hood tattooed on my forearm. So I kind of had this whole hip hop culture, negative, angry mentality. I grew up believing that white people did not like black people. And that no matter what you did in life, the white man is gonna hold you down. My parents didn't teach me that I was a victim, but there were other influences that did. Whether we're talking about uncles and aunts and the hip hop industry, the media, it painted a picture of the black man in America as being in a constant state of distress, a constant state of disadvantage. And I have relatives of mine who bought into that message. And I even bought into that message before I was born again. The only people I knew who, who existed to, in my life and who was who I could pick to be role models were athletes and rappers. So many of you guys have watched my political awakening. It's, it's been, I've been pretty much in front of everybody on the stage when I've had this reckoning. But there's one person um, who totally transformed the way that I thought. It was a video that I saw on YouTube. Um, and it was Larry Elder. Oh my God, they always call me the sunken place demon. I think yeah. it's a funny Larry thing. Elder is my mentor. I can call him anytime about any topic because there are still spots of ignorance that I have. I'm having to contend with the fact that all I have is the media narrative of things and he, he lived through it, he saw it, and he'll tell me exactly what to look up and research. Larry Elder was at the forefront of being a thought leader in terms of questioning prevalent narratives of the black community, especially with regards to individual accountability. If you have parents uh, who care about education, there are books around and you're immersed in it, you're going to have a better situation than somebody else with the same IQ whose parents don't have that kind of motivation, who don't uh, immerse you in education. Environment absolutely has a role. I'm not he provided a huge not. part of my awakening, one video of him with Dave Rubin. And I went, oh my goodness, I've been so ignorant. You wouldn't not acknowledge that there are some systemic issues. Give, give me an example. Give, tell me what you think the most systemic racist issue is. What is it? Well, I would say that because black people in most cases, in many cases, were descendants of slaves, that racism as a as an institution, that it just, a certain amount of it just exists. I, 2015? It, give, give me the most blatant racist example you can come up with right now. Um, I think you could probably find evidence that, in general, cops are, that, that cops are more willing to shoot if the uh, perpetrator is black What's your data than for, white. What's your basis for saying that? Last year... The, well, look, I know a lot of people would say, look what's going on in Chicago. I, I, I know what they would say. Yeah. I'm talking about what the facts are. 965 people were shot by cops last, uh, last year and killed. 4% of them were white cops shooting unarmed blacks. In, in Chicago in 2011, 21 people were shot and killed by cops. Uh, in 2015, there were seven. 
uh, in Chicago, which is a third black, a third white, and a third Hispanic, 70% of the homicides are black on black. Uh, about 40 per month, almost 500 uh, in the year, per year last year in Chicago, and 75% of them are unsolved. Where is the Black Lives Matter on that? The idea that a racist white cop uh, and shooting unarmed black people is a peril to black people is BS. It's yeah. complete and total. A white guy could say all this stuff all he wants. It's facts or it's not. But Larry Elder did something different. What this lie does, it causes young black men to be confrontational with cops instead of cooperating, and it causes the cops to pull back for fear that they'd be called racist. I saw a black man that reminded me of myself and other people I grew up with. And I said, he's black. He came from a similar background. How did he come to these conclusions? It's incompatible to have porous borders and a welfare state. So I think it's just common sense to say, if you come here, you ought not be a charge on taxpayers. Why is that so controversial? In order to be persuaded or to like someone's work, you don't have to share a race with them. However, we're talking about a very important fundamental shift, like a breaking of the frame. What's the purpose of an SAT? The purpose of the SAT is to make sure the student can do the freaking work that's required of him or her once they get admitted to that given university. So if you give them adjust the score because of their disadvantaged nature, that does not give them the ability to compete at the school and succeed. So all you're gonna do is create more dropouts than we already have because of race-based preferences. You're talking about breaking a very major narrative, shattering a glass ceiling. A lot of young black people are discovering me and consider me to be something of a mentor the way I considered Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. Black people have never taken a position that you describe. So it is not a question of what black people chose to do. It's what you, you choose to put in the mouths of black people. It's what you choose to, to project. We didn't learn about these guys. I didn't know who Thomas Sowell was until four years ago. The engineer is, is judged by uh, the end product uh, which is not simply ideas. If he builds a building that collapses, it doesn't matter how brilliant his, his idea was, uh, he's ruined. Uh, conversely, if an intellectual who's brilliant has an, has an idea to, for rearranging society, and that ends in disaster, he pays no price at all. To hear Thomas Sowell destroy all of this so-called data that the so-called enlightened among us were using to try to get their way and to try to shape policy. You would also have to agree that, generally speaking, women are paid less, for example, for the same jobs as men. No, I would not. I would not agree with that. If you're talking about women with the same number of years of experience, with the same continuous service, etc., etc., then when I look at that, I don't find that disparity. I find, for example, in many cases, the women are making more, depending upon how you break the data down. The difference with women is between unmarried is between married women and everybody else. If his That's message would have somehow penetrated through all of the nonsense and all of the manufactured preconceived notion that I bought into and settled itself in my mind, he would have been a huge influence for me. Why wouldn't they teach us about Thomas Sowell in school? I know LeBron James. I know you guys are excited to see her. I didn't know you guys would be excited to see me too, but uh, thank you. <laughs> I know all of these rappers. I don't know Thomas Sowell. 
I don't know about Walter Williams. I've always been a radical. I've always challenged the status quo. If there's one person that you think black America would be celebrating. I supported things like minimum wage laws because I thought it was a, a good idea until I ran some professors to say, well, look, Walter, uh, uh, let's look at the effects of the minimum wage law as opposed to looking at the intention. They gave me material to read and, and, I, and then I changed my mind. But it's I, like I, having a very successful family that you never knew you had until your grandfather dies and y'all meet at the funeral. While I was hanging out with my cousin smoking weed, y'all were, we, we have people in our family that have gone to Harvard. We have people in our family that own businesses, highly successful. Why have you hidden this from me? It's unfortunate, but history is written by academics and academia is a tool of the left. If you find a very educated black American, someone who got a 4.0 at a public high school, they are actively learning their history wrong. That's a part of the uphill battle that we have, is that if you are educated, you're actually miseducated. When I was growing up, my mom was a Democrat, remained a Democrat her entire life. My dad was a Republican, remained a Republican his entire life. By the way, most blacks were Republican uh, until the New Deal. My dad was born in 1915, uh, and my dad, like most people his age, was a Republican. He never changed. My mom became a Democrat in large part because of Franklin Roosevelt. To 30 millions of our citizens who will reap direct benefits through unemployment compensation. Most blacks were Republican to the extent that they could vote before the, the New Deal. And then when the New Deal came, a number of blacks switched over to the New Deal. That switch has continued. Only a few months before his tragic death, President Kennedy called upon the American Congress to pass the most far-reaching civil rights bill in the nation's history. Protect the constitutional rights of all citizens. The shift came with the presidential election between Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy. Martin Luther King Jr. had been in prison, and both sides asked their respective presidential candidate to give a courtesy call to Coretta Scott King and offer their condolences and their support and what have you. The rumor got out that John F. Kennedy did. So the next thing you know, in every house down south, and I can say this from, from my own eyeballs, there were three pictures that hung in, in the living room of any black home down south. It was Jesus Christ, Martin Luther King Jr., and John F. Kennedy. John Kennedy promoted a dramatic tax cut. He was a cold warrior. He was a hunter. He believed in the Second Amendment. John Kennedy's collection of views right now would make him a Republican. He would not be welcome within the Democratic Party. No memorial oration or eulogy could more eloquently honor President Kennedy's memory than the earliest possible passage of the Civil Rights Bill for which he fought so long. It goes back to the mid-1960s as to why blacks believe they should be Democrats. In 1964, the Civil Rights Act passed. Lyndon Johnson signed it. 1965, the Voting Rights Act passed. Lyndon Johnson signed it. So he got credit for those two major pieces of legislation. But here's what they don't tell you. There was a larger percentage of Republicans in Congress 
in both instances that voted for it than the percentage of Democrats that voted for it. Who enabled the civil rights legislation of 64 to pass were Senate Republicans led by Everett Dirksen. Everett Dirksen got an award from the NAACP for helping to shepherd the act into fruition. Most blacks are unaware of that. I didn't study that kind of stuff when I was in history. President Johnson was able to get the civil rights bill passed and it was perceived that it was an effort on the part of the Democrats. And so that's a perception and a narrative that has been created that caused the community to connect that event, momentous event, to the Democratic Party. And they have been using that idea to effectively create a perception that the best friend to the black community is the Democratic Party which is far from the truth. Black people have been taught that the Democratic Party wears the white hat when it comes to civil rights and racial justice, and Republicans uh, have been described as wearing the black hat. If resistance to the federal court order ceases at once, the further presence of federal troops will be unnecessary, and the city of Little Rock will return to its normal habits of peace and order and a blot upon the fair name and high honor of our nation in the world will be removed. Dwight Eisenhower was responsible for bringing the civil rights issues to the forefront. I have a dream. One day. It was a movement that was challenging America to embrace its ideas. Those ideas that were found in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, to hold our society, America, to the principles that were found in the Constitution, and those constitutional principles that protect our liberties and protect our individual rights. That's what that civil rights movement was all about. There must be a revolution of values in our country because some of the values that presently exist are certainly out of line with the uh, values and the idealistic structure uh, that brought our nation into being. Unfortunately, we haven't been true to these ideals. It was signed under the hope that that piece of legislation would open up opportunities for the blacks to have equal access, to have first-class citizenship, have better economic opportunities. That was the dream that Dr. Martin Luther King talked about. Al Gore's father, Al Gore Sr., worked with other Democrats to mount what was, at the time, the longest filibuster in the history of the Senate to prevent the bill from ever getting onto the floor for a vote. Al Gore's dad, by the way, died a Democrat. He didn't make a big switch to join the racist Republicans. Whenever I began to read the Republican Party platform, I didn't find one thing in there that I felt, as a black man, targeted me. I began to wonder, well, if I can't find anything in their platform, maybe I can find something in the Republican Party's past that gives me an example of how they targeted me as a black man. And I started with Abraham Lincoln, who was a Republican. You know, you can argue, well, he signed the Emancipation Proclamation as a war strategy. And you can argue that. But at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is that it was a Republican who signed the Emancipation Proclamation. 
And then if you fast forward to women's suffrage, it was a Republican chief justice in William Taft that struck down laws that made it illegal for women to vote. If you look at Jim Crow, it was Republican votes in the Senate and in the House that was able to rid this country of Jim Crow. When we look at the history of entities like the KKK, it was specifically intended to suppress the African-Americans and keep them from voting for Republicans specifically. That was always what the KKK was founded to do. A lot of black people were voting for Democrats because they were being forced to. If you don't vote for Democrats, the Ku Klux Klan are gonna come and lynch your eldest son. And so you fast forward to today, the message is still the same. If you don't vote for Democrats, the Republicans are gonna come. They can turn back voting rights. They can turn back many of the things that people suffered and died for. Didn't nobody donate to us the right to vote? It's the same Democratic Party. It's just they learn to play the game better. We in the same ship. It's the same suit just warmed over. It ain't nothing changed. The same party is doing the same thing they always been doing. Party of division, the party of power. If you're a minority, you're smart, you can believe what you want to believe, support what you want to support, you are free to do these things. You don't have to support one person. You don't have to drink at this one water fountain. You're free to make choices. It's like, okay, that's great. I choose to be a Republican and then, whoa, everybody stop. He is encouraging a generation of foolish young people. These are lost, disturbed, self-loathing people. Notice that all of those youngsters had caps on. It was almost like we're going to dress you for the photo. It's gone from like physical restrictions, but now, you know, in the 21st century, as we're reaching the information age, it's become a sort of metaphysical restriction as to what a minority can and can't do. Minorities shouldn't think this way. Minorities shouldn't support these people. Minorities shouldn't believe these things. Black conservatives today, or anybody that has a black conservative message, we are the people that are escaping the plantation. The liberal will try to control a black person through the concept of racism because they know that we are very proud, emotional people. What was the reaction when black slaves escaped the plantation? It was swift. What I saw was a minstrel show today him in front of all of these white people embarrassing himself. When minorities don't support the agenda of the Democrats or the left, all of a sudden the restrictions they put on years ago in a physical realm are they're now doing in a metaphysical realm. But are we 100% convinced, like are we back on the Kanye is not sick and off his meds? He really has a problem pumping the brake here mentally and emotionally. Maybe he was missing his medication. It all makes clear that he has struggled and admitted diagnoses for personal mental health issues. Anybody who threatens the 95% monolithic black vote uh, is an enemy. 
Uh, they've got to be dealt with. They've got to be put down. Another stunning act of terror. The mass shooting at two mosques in New Zealand. He claims to have been radicalized by Candace Owens. Saying that she was an inspiration to him. She has responded sarcastically. Few events I've not been blamed for. Brazilian mining dam collapse. Chinese uh, air smog. Tenerife air crash 1973. She's not taking this at all seriously. What do you think the press is doing when you try to smear someone as having a mental disorder and when you say this, that someone is inspiring a mosque shooting? Well, you're trying to make it so that my career is effectively cut off. You're trying to make it so that nobody talks to me, so that I'm considered sort of this reject. I just have to say that I object strenuously to your use of the word hilarious. Um, to me, this feels a lot like your reaction to being named in one of these manifestos. Now, you're of course not responsible for the words of somebody writing that document, but I do think that laughing at it is a real problem because these are real families that are impacted by this violence. I'm a black female who came from poverty. I should be at the top of the progressive stack. I should be receiving awards. They should be calling me, inviting me on the red carpet to share my story, but they're not. Why? Because I'm not saying what they want me to say. You would rather assign meaning to a homicidal maniac than to actually address that I said to, the things that I said today that are actually harming black America. Number one, father absence. Number two, the education system and the illiteracy rate. Illegal immigration ranks high, abortion ranks high, white supremacy and white nationalism, if I had to make a list again of 100 things, would not be on it. This hearing, in my opinion, is a farce. And it is ironic that you're sitting here and you're having three Caucasian people testify and tell you what their expertise are. Do I know what my expertise are? Black in America. I've been black in America my whole life, all 30 years, and I can tell you that you guys have done the exact same thing every four years ahead of an election cycle, and it needs to stop. I think probably the most hated political person in America is a black conservative, and that's because we refute the entire philosophy of the Democratic Party. I think the fact that a black person can start in government housing and go on to be one of the most successful brain surgeons ever to exist, that's somebody you should emulate. That's someone you should idolize. That's someone you should put on a pedestal. Came from nothing, became a neurosurgeon, one of the greatest men in the world. Some of the things he's done, nobody's ever done in the world. He was the first person to perform surgery on conjoined twins at the brain. No one wanted to do that, and he did that as a black man. I don't think of myself as a surgeon, um, just a guy people pay to stab their brain <laughs> until they're healthy. <laughs> Quick backstory on Dr. Ben for those who don't know. He's a former brain surgeon and Republican presidential candidate who our celebrity in chief, Donald J. Trump, nominated as his HUD secretary in 2017, despite him having zero relevant experience. Now, Dr. Ben Carson is a very intelligent person. To ignore that and say, like, oh, well, he's a doctor. He has no business in government. Really? So we can't even have we can't even have people who are smart enough to be doctors in the government now? Like, who do you want to be in the government then? Just because Dr. Ben Carson is a well-educated neurosurgeon who doesn't speak fluent nigga, doesn't mean he's acting white. Okay, so I don't agree with calling people Oreos, but I can see <laughs> why you would call Dr. Ben Carson one. Ben Carson, do you pass the black test? You know, I, I grew up in Detroit and I grew up in Boston. Uh, in Boston, you know, we, we lived in the ghetto. Excuse me, you, you grew up in a what? A ghetto? 
A ghetto? That sounds like a French person saying cat in Spanish. What, what is that? What kind of black person says a ghetto? Mother I'm straight out of Comptard. This kind of crap goes on all the time. They're trying to say he is not black enough. I was at a Popeye's organization and, and then I deposited basketballs at the urban athletic complex. Uh, thereafter, I rounded out the night by making it precipitate at a lady's clothing removal facility. Uh, we want to shun him. He's a sellout. He's a coon. We want to remove his name off of schools. The Detroit School Board now considering stripping the name of HUD Secretary Dr. Ben Carson off of a local school over his ties, yes, to the president. I've cringed when I've seen the way people like Ben Carson get treated by the media. For example, when Carson first became HUD Secretary, he gave a speech where he likened slaves to immigrants. A land of dreams and opportunity. There were other immigrants who came here in the bottom of slave ships, worked even longer, even harder for less. But they too had a dream. And he got fried, especially in the black media. Like we actually came here on yeah. our own accord. Right. I bought a trip Shackled, the, yeah, I bought a trip. Beat, <laughs> shot, killed, yeah, on our way here to find a better life. How does he miss that no slave came to this country willingly? This is one of the most atrocious acts of historical revisionism that one might imagine. It wasn't always easy for new immigrants. Certainly it wasn't easy for those of African heritage who had not come here voluntarily and yet in their own way were immigrants themselves. Obama said the very same thing at least 11 times. Nobody said anything. The left claims it advocates for black people, but they really advocate for left-wing black people. Reagan won Pennsylvania by the margin of despair. By the margin, the fracture of our coalition, your time has come. Pick up your slingshot, pick up your rock, declare our time has come. When I became old enough to vote, I registered as a Democrat because that's what the black people did. I suffered for it because I started to believe what the Democratic Party was saying. I believed into their lie. Louis Farrakhan would come out here to L.A. and he would get tossed at the forum and he talked about how bad the old blue-eyed devil was. We and white people are mortal enemies. They were not made to be our friends. They were made to be our enemies and they are that and they can't be nothing but that. They are locked into that. There ain't no redemption for them. That is why I challenge you now to stand together. I will listen to Justin Jackson. Raise your fists together and engage in our national black litany. I will listen to them and they were saying it's all white people fault. And so I started to believe because no one else was opposing what they were saying. And for the first time in my life, I started to resent white people. I suffered for it. I finally got over it, but I suffered for it. When I turned 30-something, I started asking questions like, if the white man is holding me back because I'm black, why is it that they're not holding Jesse Jackson, his family back, the so-called NWCP and all of them? Their kids went to 
the best schools, they have fathers and mothers in their homes, and they were doing very well. And so I wonder why is it that they are not holding those people back if they're holding me back because I'm black, right? And that's when I realized that I've been lied to. And everything starts to change. Jesse Jackson is a racist demigod, and he's built a career on keeping black people down, keeping them angry, brainwashing them to control them for his own personal gain. And they have lost that power Speak now. your mind, right? Wow. <laughs> I grew up in Alabama on a plantation, and I grew up under the Jim Crow laws. They have deliberately kept us down by causing us to become angry, destroying the family, and demoralizing black people. And so what we're trying to do is to wake them up to that reality. When I was growing up, I was just taught good and evil, right versus wrong. I had never even heard the word racism. We knew that it was a spiritual battle between right and wrong, good and evil. There was no such thing as racism, sexism, homophobiaism, Islamophobiaism, or deadbeat-ism, or white supremacism. It didn't exist. That only came about when we allowed the Democrats to take over. They started making up words to deceive us. We've got to deal with homophobia in all communities, including the black community. A lot of the black civil rights leaders have abandoned the moral high ground and have perverted the civil rights movement to the point where it's become a part of a race grievance industry. We're on the brink of undoing what Dr. King and others went to jail for. Blacks have been convinced that they're supposed to respect you if you have the title Reverend or Pastor, even if you're no good. You probably can't even remember a sermon from Al Sharpton. Reverend Al Sharpton. He's a reverend of what? In politics, the road to the White House took a detour through Harlem today. It is like a rite of passage for Democratic candidates as an outreach to the African-American community. Well, today, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg had lunch at Sylvia's with Reverend Al Sharpton. Barack Obama dined here in 2008. So did Bernie Sanders in 2016. I could tell the Negroes to go left and they'll go left. How much are you willing to pay me to get the Negroes to do what I want them to do? They're the ones that receive the contributions to say, hey, let's keep these people subjugated. Let's keep them voting for us. And you do what is necessary and help us to squelch these voices that are rising up in opposition to what we believe. They're leading the narratives that others want them to lead. If we can get the black community to hate the police, then they'll keep breaking laws. So we got to keep black people angry, stirred up, angry, ticked off. How else do you get 95% of people to pull the lever for a party whose views are absolutely inconsistent with the best interests of the country in general and the best interests of black people in particular? advocate non-violent, passive resistance, and still determined to use the weapon of love. We are still insisting emphatically that violence is self-defeating, that he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. Martin Luther King was a pastor. He was a genuine pastor. That's why Martin Luther King can't be around. He can't live. He's he too powerful. That anger building up in a community which causes people to riot and to tear things down and to burn things up, it goes to show that 
black people don't feel these days like we're building anything, that we're contributing to anything. When it comes to America, black people help build this country. When you look back at the history of black people here in America, once we were free from slavery, we were successful in ways, and we overcame things, and we did things far beyond our predecessors could have imagined, simply because we had that almost instinctively in us. As blacks emerged from slavery, oh, a minute percentage could read or write, and yet in half a century, over half the black population was literate. Uh, an economic historian has called that one of the most remarkable things in history. So in the late 1800s, we had actually, in not very well documented, boon of African-American proliferation into the political space, into the entrepreneurial space. And we had real movers and shakers in our communities who were doing real things. Because at one time, blacks were Republicans. And you dominated those seven years after the Civil War. You were Republicans. You had more blacks in the House and Senate than you do now. And you dominated your own economic communities. You did that as Republicans. But then what happened was that Democrats realized they could still control us by enacting new laws to suppress our civil liberties. That brings us to the rise of Jim Crow. The Jim Crow era and Ruby Bridges going to school, that happened in the 1950s and 1960s, that general era. But we had Hiram Rhodes rebels and many other African-Americans rise to positions of power in the political space in the late 1800s. So there's this gap of missing achievement that we have, and that is what the KKK, that is what the Jim Crow laws did to our community. You can't depend on a government school to teach you raw history. You're gonna see people like even Frederick Douglass become less and less and less celebrated and less and less and less popular because he doesn't really fit the narrative. He was a Republican, very American. When they want to teach you somebody that was great in black American history and they happen to be Republican, they don't tell you that element. And they also, and this is sort of one of the biggest myths that they tell you, that the party's completely switched. They have to say the party switched. They have to. Because they can't acknowledge that they are part of all of the worst things that have ever happened to black people in history. And if you know better and you know the parties didn't switch and you just look at today, they're still a part of every negative thing that have happened to black people in America. Let's just take one issue. And that's the issue we've talked about for a long time and that's vouchers. They have to pass through metal detectors. They're faced by security guards looking for hidden weapons. They're watched over. By armed You're required to send your kid to a school where only 3% of kids can do math at grade level because you have no option. Republicans want you to have an option, but Republicans, of course, are racist, so you can't vote for them, right? What a dilemma. Slave codes in the early 19th century made it illegal for black Americans to learn to read. Why? Because if slaves could read, they could access information. I don't believe that much has changed. If the parties did switch and Democrats really are the party of, for, and by minorities, then why do they react so viciously when you introduce legislation that would help the minorities by giving them school choice? There's answers to all these questions, but you have to be the one to find them. 
because no one else is going to tell you the inconvenient truth. The welfare state is slavery 2.0. The biggest falsehood, the biggest lie that gets repeated is that the kind of disorganization and chaos and violence and self-destruction that we're witnessing in the black community is somehow a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. That is just a lie. Because if that were so, between 1930 and 1940, during the years of the Depression, when segregation and racism was enshrined in laws, when there was no black representation in government, even in the face of these horrible conditions, the black community had the highest marriage rate of any group in society. Our institutions served as an anchor for us. And so therefore, elderly people could walk in their neighborhood without fear of being assaulted by their grandchildren. Our business formation rate was high then. If we were able to accomplish the building of hospitals, dental schools, hotels, movie theaters, vaudeville theaters, if we were able to accomplish this and not engage in the kind of self-destruction. What's the proper way to murder nigga? Uh, uh, you know, walk down on him, ground by his hood, and walk to the head. head. I mean, one time in the head, two times in the chest. Six How can you explain that? How is that possible in a society that has experienced so much social progress that we are seeing a decline in the black community? The statistics of illegitimacy, crime rates, and illiteracy have worsened since the time of segregation and Jim Crow. Before the War on Poverty launched, 87% of blacks lived below the federally defined level of poverty in 1940. By 1960, that number had decreased to 47%. A 40-point drop in 20 years. That's probably the greatest economic prosperity period for blacks in the history of this country. And this all happened before affirmative action, before the so-called war on poverty. Back then, it was commonplace to have both parents in the home. If you made a commitment and you married somebody and you had kids, you stayed with them. It wasn't just about your immediate family. It was also about your church family. In those days, black men were in control. The black woman respected the black man. Having a strong father showed me how to be a man. It also showed me how to treat a woman. When I was young, I remember going to open house and everybody's parents were there, everybody's. Up until 1962, 63, 85% of all black families had a man and a woman raising children. But that all changed in the 60s. 
Uh, you, you estimate that the welfare is uh, paying, I guess, uh, seven billion, six, seven billion dollars uh, a year in benefits. Uh, how much would you say is denied uh, by these illegal practices? The architect of this destruction was Cloud and Piven. The American public welfare system is only expending half of what it should be expending if it were reaching all of the people who are eligible under existing statutes. So we think welfare costs should probably double. A couple renowned sociologists at the Columbia University School of Social Work. And their theory was, if we could separate work from income, it would make men redundant. And if we can just remove the stigma from welfare and entice more people to flood the welfare system, it will bankrupt cities and the country. Uh, the welfare rights movement and the lawyers are challenging uh, man in the house rules and other kinds of requirements restricting. This, I presume, would be uh, additional people who could become eligible uh, for additional money if these were, uh, if these were challenged. Yes, that would, that would raise the cost even more. To recruit people into the welfare system, we relaxed the rules. If a woman had to declare paternity in order to qualify for welfare, the ACLU sued and said this is a violation of our privacy rights. They also said that the nuclear family, Isaiah and Harriet, was Eurocentric and therefore racist. <laughs> the women's movement concurred with that. The black power movement also agreed. Millions of blacks in a period of less than four years flooded into the welfare system in major cities. At a time when the unemployment rate for blacks in New York for males was less than 4%. If I could get me a job where I could be my own man, it make me think that they're feeling sorry for me. Give me this, give me what I need. This is like a pet, like a dog, you know, like, give him, he, he, you have to be fed now, give him some food. What you then saw as a consequence of separating work from income, the outer wedlock births in the black community began to skyrocket, went from under 25% to 70%. It is a neutron bomb that was dropped on this country, and it really hurt families, especially the black family. During slavery, a black kid was more likely to be raised under a roof with his biological mother and biological father than today. The welfare state has done more to destroy and destabilize the black family than even slavery did. We allowed them to remove the fathers from our homes removing the backbone of our families. I remember when my dad used to be hard on us, making us fold clothes and washing dishes properly. And if we didn't, you know, we got a whooping. If we didn't do them right, or if we, you know, didn't do them when he told us to do them. And I didn't like him when he did that to us. My dad made me a responsible man by doing that. And, and it just really made me wonder, like, what if he wasn't there? I'm very blessed to be where I am today. And a lot of that has to do with the upbringing I had from my father, who was in the house, who made sure that we were in school, who made sure that we were clothed, that we had shelter, that we had food. That was my father. When I was growing up, fathers led. And you knew not to be fighting and carrying on because you had respect for the elderly, and you respect yourself because you represented your parents when you're out there. And But that representation is no longer there because the man is not there. If you 
look at every major issue facing the black community today, it can be stemmed back to fatherlessness. You see black people joining gangs. They're joining the gang to simulate a family unit. Family union could be solved with a father. Don't understand what it's like to how to treat a woman, how to be respectful, how to earn a living the legal way. They didn't have a father in their home that taught them these things. And then that father didn't have a father in his home. So this generational fatherlessness is far more dangerous to the black community than institutional or generational racism. If there is a strong man in the household, people aren't eligible for these benefits. So you see how it kind of starts and it just grows and grows and grows. With the political left, this whole idea that government can bring people out of poverty and that government can fix all the problems, we know that government can't do that, that government can't raise a family. The Quandre Weaver was 14 years old when this video was shot. And this week, a judge sentenced him to serve 20 years in prison for a list of felonies. Because the left has promoted the welfare state, has encouraged women to marry the government, has allowed men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility, we have these problems. It is no wonder that you have the chaos. More blacks are killing other blacks in one year than the Klan killed in the 70 years. We are on autopilot in the destruction of our own communities. Black-on-black -black crime is something that our media tells us that we're not allowed to talk about. Over 93% of black homicide victims are killed by other black people. We are not supposed to be outraged, and we're not told to remember the names of those victims. Because if we begin to focus on that area, something that is causing real harm and devastation to our communities, we might uncover the truth. Our inner cities are all by Democrat design, like Chicago, like Baltimore, and like Detroit. They have been run by Democrats for decades. We have been made to believe that the conditions in our cities are normal. We're supposed to turn a blind eye to the corruption, to the crime, to the gangs, and instead focus on what our media deems of more importance. We are instead told that we should be focusing on white people. We're supposed to be reactive and angry and fearful about white supremacy, when in fact, it is liberal supremacy that is harming our communities. In the inner cities, who's killing who? Back in slavery, they used to rip the families apart, take the father out of the home. Now we're removing ourselves from the home. These are things that I believe have gotten us to the point where we are on autopilot for the liberal movement. You begin to ask yourself, why is it that more black women are getting abortions than any other ethnic group? And you begin to look at maps of where these Planned Parenthood clinics are situated. 77% of Planned Parenthood abortion bills are located in the inner cities. Somehow, the script was flipped, and so it became a civil right to abort a child. It is her body, it is her right, it is her decision. It became a woman's reproductive right, but nobody really examined the motives behind it. 52% of all African-American pregnancies end in abortion, 1,786 a day, and since 1973, over 20 million 
African Americans had been killed by abortion alone. For more federal funding for Planned Parenthood. The Democratic Party has always been focused on pushing eugenics and abortion on the black community. Margaret Sanger, the woman that ultimately founded what became Planned Parenthood, believed that certain people were degenerate, were unworthy of living. And if you're one of those persons, perfectly okay for you to be eliminated. Whether you're talking about Margaret Sanger's strategies back then, or you're talking about Planned Parenthood's tactics of today, they're still able to Trojan horse the black community. That is to deliver this message of we're for women's health, we're for the black community. More than half of Planned Parenthood centers are located in areas without ready access to health care. Here you have the left wing embracing Planned Parenthood, embracing the pro-choice movement, completely oblivious to the fact that Margaret Sanger was not particularly fond of poor black people who, in her view, could not make it on their own. I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just mock when they're born. That, to me, is the greatest sin. I see black people argue that if a woman is poor, she shouldn't have a child. If that were the case, a lot of black people that I know who have done great things in life would never have been born and I would have been one of them. The billboard's idea that abortion is genocide has made a comeback in some parts of the black community. Our population growth has stagnated. Fueling this is the growing number of Latinos who have fewer abortions. 60% of all new births in this country are Latino, and you have Democrats that are advocating for open borders. Ethnic minority than black Americans. Right now, the Democrat Party relies upon our vote, but they don't have to forever. Buenas noches, gracias de invitarnos. Gusto en verlo, caballero. Me llamo Julián Castro y estoy postulando Necesitamos. Pues la situación ahora es inaceptable. Black people in general are starting to get the sense that we are being traded for illegal immigrants. The caravan lurched forward, carrying babies, suitcases, and hope. They're importing a whole new victim class. We're going to do exactly to the illegals what they did to black America in the 60s. Get them addicted to government, get them addicted to handouts, and turn them into a permanent class of victim voters. They are willing to use people's genuine disadvantages, people's genuine struggles to get into power. And we're going to fight for fairness and justice for immigration. We're going to fight for DACA, and we're going to help this How country is it to move to that we have Maxine point. Waters and John Lewis and others in the Black Congressional Caucus who are fighting for DACA, for the dreamers of illegal aliens who've come to our nation, and they're not fighting for black children and the dreams that our kids and our teenagers have. They have set them aside and made DACA their priority. I submit to you, they are in pursuit of an agenda. The black community has literally been destroyed by racist, illegal immigration, and we're not going to have it. When my people do a crime, we get three strikes. Your people do a crime, they get amnesty, they get benefits, and they're Blacks not are protesting benefits. the fact that for the last 50 years, they're living in cities that are the most dangerous 
disinvested places and they've been run by liberal black Democrats. But they've got no alternative to express that discontent. The black community is low-hanging fruit for the Republican Party. And the fact that they're not making a more concerted effort to message to our community aggressively is a huge mistake. First, they have to be serious about whether or not they want minorities in the party. And if they are, then they need to totally rethink how they're going about it. My experience is running as a mayoral candidate in a city that's predominantly Democrat. I've been criticized by Republican strategists for spending my time in minority communities. I placed my campaign office in a historically black community. I did that by choice. I have not found the kind of support that I expected from Republicans. I think that if you look at the Republican Party, I believe that if I were white, that I would notice that there were so few people of color, racial and ethnic minorities in my party, and I would support the ones that were sincere. I love America, I've lived the American dream, and I want to give hope to people who are disadvantaged, not just black people, but also white people who come from unfortunate circumstances. When I've gone to campaign and elections meetings, I hear the strategists say, don't waste your time in minority communities. You need to hunt where the ducks are. For years, the Democratic Party has assumed they were going to get 90, 95% of the black vote, as did the Republican Party. They didn't even try. Republicans have convinced themselves that blacks are unalterably Democrats. There's nothing we can do about it. Let's husband our money and our energy and just spend it where we think we can get votes. The Republican Party ignores us because they believe a narrative that has been uh, pushed out into the public square that the black community is a, a monolith. And so we're being ignored on both sides. The major conservative in the race, Carol Swain, was the last to concede tonight. We're not making the kind of investments in our minority allies. That's the fault of the Republican Party, is that they have just completely said, eh, we can't connect with them, and, and they gave up. We have more in common with the Republican Party by far than anything Democrat regardless of where your position is socioeconomically. Because the Democrats, they're not giving jobs. They don't care about jobs. So they don't want you to succeed. They don't want you to own anything. That's why they keep spoon feeding you and putting you in projects and then keep giving you little so now you're dependent. Being unapologetically capitalist is sort of the way to move forward. I want to be rich. I don't want to be poor. You want to be wealthy and successful. Well, we're the party that, that promotes uh, values and, and policies that will make you wealthy and successful. Conservatives are really bad at marketing good ideas. They're horrible. The Republicans have been their own worst messengers. The problem with conservatives and what we don't do good enough is that we don't infiltrate ourselves into the culture. For too long we've let the left run culture. Saturday Night Live, right? We're gonna make fun and people can understand humor. You're not going to be able to sell your ideas and your theories and your thoughts to the people if you're doing things in the same way that you have done them for the last 20, 30 years. Ladies and gentlemen, I am officially running for President of the United States, and we are going to make 
our country great again. Donald Trump is the first Republican that is unafraid. He's unafraid of the media. And you know it if you were honest reporters, which in many cases you're not. The progressive socialist left and all their tactics, all their antics. It's the next step in our investigation. They don't know what to do with it. If you look at his policies and how they benefited and continue to benefit this country, there's no denying the objective facts. But if you look at the man Donald Trump, the version of him as it is painted by the media, then it's easy to hate the man, to hate his guts. Painting a picture of him that he is incompetent, not capable, out of control, impetuous, all those things is what we get out of the media. But somehow, through the charisma of his personality and the force of his personality, has gotten through to some in our community. I see Trump as this window of opportunity for black America to wake up is because I think he's the most cultural president we've ever had. He was taking photos with rappers. He was always part of the culture. You got this guy that talks shit. WrestleMania, he was doing this, he was doing that, and he's president? He made politics cool again. Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary you can see the realness. He's a New Yorker, man. And he talks like one. He has that... The, the bravado like one. Jim wants to be, he wants to be a to tough guy. Down. He wants to be a tough guy tonight. To tear down I didn't the take house. the property. And the next, a lot of young black people, that's why they're drawn to him. If people spoke to black people the way Donald Trump does, bluntly, without condescension. Look how much African American communities have suffered under democratic control. To those I say the following. What do you have to lose? Donald Trump is facing a new backlash. What the hell thing. do you have to lose the best pitch? Trump's latest attempted outreach to a larger voting bloc is already being called ignorance. So disrespectful and so condescending. How condescending, how offensive, how racist, whatever. He was right. Why do you have to lose? You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. You have no jobs. 58% of your youth is unemployed. The audacity to stare black America in the face and say, hello, wake up, you're already losing, look at your communities, everything's run down, what's the big deal, take a chance on Trump. People black and white and brown who did not go to college have felt ignored by the elites of both parties. And Trump turned over the tables in the temple. You can say he's an artful, he's not articulate, he's not smooth or whatever. People really don't care. People are tired of politicians that say one thing and do something else, and especially we're starting to see in the black community. They want to see some change. They want to see something different. And that's why blacks feeling as if they're conservatives is on the rise. They're looking at the results. You think you can bully people to stop doing something, right? Call us coons, all them type of names, right? Usually people run into their little cubby holes after that. It's a new movement now, and we want all the smoke. It's really clear. People told me not to wear the MAGA hat, so I bought the biggest MAGA hat. Then I bought a bigger one. So next time somebody say something to me, duh, common sense, a bigger one. It's simple math, really, when you put it all together. Yeah, I'm black, I'm not Democrat, Peter MAGA hat. Ooh, we they try to take my guns, I can't go like that. Ooh, we they try to take our funds, I can't go like that. Ooh, we they try to ban our speech, I can't go like that. Yeah, I'm black, I'm not Democrat, Peter MAGA hat. It was Donald Trump who woke me up, man. At first, when he was he was nominated and, and he was elected, I was not a big fan, but to see the things he's done for black community, to see things he's done for America in particular, 
I'm a huge fan now, and he has my support. We are historical times. So people are waking up. People are changing. Humans are naturally conservative. You grow up being taught to work hard for what you got. You don't, you don't grow up being told you're going to get something because you just want it. You're saying, like, you ain't got to work for it. When, we, we went, when I went in the store and I tried to get a Snickers and they ain't had no money for it, I'm going to smack my hand, put that Snickers back. You feel me? We can't afford that. You know what I'm saying? But Democrats, they say, hey, we give you everything for free. That ain't reality. Black America is starting to get it. And that's why th there is this sort of battle that's happening, I think, right now. Black America is in the midst of an ideological civil war. Oh, it's bullshit. It's racism. It's Trump. Get on your feet. Fuck this. We gotta stand up. We gotta do our shit. We gotta do what we gotta do. Round of applause for Candace. That's a waste of time. You guys, this is so beautiful. Look at all of us. We made it all the way to the White House. This week, two days, I'm going to the White House with 400 black kids. And it's basically saying, you don't get to take away my blackness because I don't agree with you, because I'm educated. Before, it was just a monolith. And there was no thought. It was just nodding, like zombies. Like, of course, we have to support Barack Obama. The one reason that I thought that his candidacy would be positive, the one reason, was because when Senator Obama was interviewed by Steve Croft. I believe that was his first 60 Minutes interview. And Steve Croft said to Obama... You think the country's ready for a black president? Yes. You don't think it's going to hold you back? No. I, you know, the, uh, I think if I uh, don't win this race, uh, it will be because of other factors. It's, it's going to be because uh, I have not uh, shown to the American people a vision for where the country needs to go that... Uh, uh, that they can embrace. I said to myself, hallelujah, at least this is not your basic black victocrat. Well, he got elected. I cried. Tears came to my eyes during his inauguration. My fellow citizens, a black man being a president, like this is uh, finally, we have proven to the world and everybody else in the country that this is not a racist country. And I think that's what America really felt, that we had turned the corner. I could follow in the same steps now, finally, that there was no barrier that was preventing me as a black American from doing anything. Many people had high expectations that he was going to take us in a direction that was going to improve things. Obama, before he became president, gave a speech at a black church in Atlanta. And he said, the Moses generation, referring to the generation of Martin Luther King, has gotten us 90% of the way there, which I thought was pretty reasonable. He said, my generation, the Joshua generation, has to get us that remaining 10%. The Moses generation pointed the way. They took us 90% of the way there, but we still got that 10%. That was before Obama became president. I'm suspecting that now that he's president, that that 10% probably got shaved into it just a little bit. Yet, when he was president, what did he say? What did he do? Slavery, Jim Crow, discrimination in almost every institution of our lives. You know, that casts a long shadow. And that's still part of our DNA. That's, that's passed on. We're not cured of it. Racism. Racism. We are not cured of it. Obama got a higher percentage of the white vote than John Kerry did. And here he is talking about racism is in our DNA. If, if I had, I had a, son, a son, he would, he would look, look like Trayvon. Trayvon. The Cambridge police... The Cambridge police uh, acted stupidly. Acted stupidly. What he really did was add to the level of racial tension that we have in America today. He went out of his way to capitalize on this sort of, like, wokeness. There are very few African-American men in this country who haven't had the experience of being followed when they were shopping in a department store. 
That includes me. He had Al Sharpton in his White House over 70 times. And every time you criticize President Obama based upon policy, you were called what? A racist. He played the race card Obama did. This is a guy who knew better and could have, in my opinion, done a great deal to advance race relations in this country. We didn't turn any corner. And so now we are just at a point where we're at each other's throats. You, you called me a nigger. nigger. You I called call me you. Yes, you did. He made things worse for America in terms of race. And there's not a single person that can say they remember America feeling like this. Constitution House, nigga. I didn't call you a nigger. Oh, okay. That, that's a big difference. Right. Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom. Before Obama wasn't all this racist talk at all. I don't remember it. I don't remember at any point before Barack Obama ever feeling this much racial strife in this country. Obama was the most divisive president of our time. Especially in the African-American community, I will consider it a personal insult, an insult to my legacy. If this community lets down its guard and fails to activate itself I believe Obama is one of the most articulate presidents that we've had, charismatic presidents we've had. When you look at his educational background, he's probably one of the most intelligent he knows better. I harbor a lot of resentment towards Barack Obama because now I see what he was. But I, I wouldn't take that moment back for a lot of reasons. And one of those reasons is that it did mean a lot. Now it's something that I point to to show people. If America is a racist country, how did Barack Obama get into office for two terms? In barely half a century, you can go from a young, African-American girl being escorted into the school by the National Guard to having the first person of color occupy the Oval Office. That's why all those people were in tears when Obama was elected president. Ah, look at what we are. Look at how this is America. If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things Tonight is your answer. It's the answer told by lines that stretched around schools and churches in numbers this nation has never seen. By people who I didn't grow up thinking, you know, one day I'm going to own my own business, I'm going to do my own thing. It seemed like something that surely I could never achieve that. That's something that you have to be really smart. You have to come from money. You have to have a huge set of capital before you can even start a business. That's something that's too lofty for me. I would never accomplish that. So I didn't even think about it. If you have some material and stuff that you're needing, I would like to get it to a place where you can call him. And if we have it in the shop, he can run it to you. Early in my 20s, when I began to go into a transition, if you will, of learning more about policy, of learning more about the platforms and how they're so different from one another, I realized, well, no, this is something that is well within my grasp. This is something that is attainable. Being a business owner in America is one of the greatest privileges of being an American. I love being in this country where you can start anything, you can be anything, you can do anything. And it's not possible everywhere to do it that way. 
You know, oftentimes I get crazy messages from people who they can't believe I do this or whatever. But you don't know until you do it yourself. You don't really get it and understand it until you start doing it yourself. They're still thinking that it's a four-inch supply coming in. In my heart of hearts, I do desire that people will kind of have the same kind of revelations that I've had. Because to me, what it means to be a conservative is to realize that a lot of the dignity that you have is within yourself. Conservatism is the political philosophy that is pro-business, that is pro-growth, that is pro-minority, way more than any kind of liberal idea or policy can ever be. I want for people to understand that. I want for people to realize that. These are the sinks that were that you fixed last time. It starts with the individual. What you do and making yourself a better person will matriculate down to everybody else in the community, all the generations to come after you. The power is in your hands. Don't rely on every, wait for everybody else to do something. You have the power to change you. You have authority to change you. I will not pretend to be a victim in this country. I know that that makes many people on the left uncomfortable. I know people might not like me because they're, they're from an era where race hustling is a business. But I say to people, I'm not here to be your friend. <laughs> I'm not here to become the most well-liked black person in America. I'm here to be like an alarm clock. Your alarm clock goes off in the morning and you're pretty pissed at it. But eventually you get up <laughs> and you do what you have to do. Many of the black kids who grew up in this country, they see mom and dad voting for Democrats. They don't question it. They just go and do it. But many of them have so much potential and so much worth that they can really do anything they wanted with their lives. So much creativity and so much vision. What's sad is that many of them are being lied to and they're being put in situations where these limits are being put on them by themselves, by their family, by their schools, by the government, to where their minds are ever dependent on Democrat politicians on Democrat policies, when in reality you're bigger than a program, you're better than a program, you're capable of providing for yourself so much more than any government program can provide for you. My fear is that with black people in America, many of us haven't came to that realization, and I want for us to, because we can do so much better as a community when we come to that realization. Alrighty, that'll do it.